Hey, sports fans, Greg Medford from the Greg Medford Show in Phoenix, Arizona. Thanks for joining us. Um, it's been a wild ride going from my live loosey-goosey, uh, do whatever I want, to more organized structure. I think you guys have watched this happen over time. Um, and as you guys start to uh, move over to Spotify and iTunes uh, and away from uh, Tube, YouTube, and the bullshit that we encounter there, um, it's fun getting everyone's, uh, uh, it's fun getting the, uh, folks engaging from this new format instead of from my kind of wild build days. Um, the last five years has been the craziest awakening of my adult political life. Uh, I've been pretty engaged in politics since 88 and, uh, I didn't know this was going to turn so much into a political show, but the last five years has really melted a lot of illusions. I think it has for a lot of people, and I encounter lots of folks who have not had their illusions melted quite yet, and they're still holding on to the old Walter Cronkite, this is the news. And to see people who think they're doing their citizenly job of staying informed by watching the news after they parent and work and pay the bills and fold the laundry and then sit down to have dinner and get in, informed by the news. When we run into those folks, we're still running into them and, and they, they've they still taken, you know, like from the matrix, they, they, they still haven't eaten the, the right color pill yet. They don't have it figured out yet. And it's a big illusion to have fall away from us that we think we're being informed and we think we're being told the truth and we think our country is as good and just and run by well-intentioned people as we always hoped, especially for those of us who serve our country, uh, whether we're veterans or whether we serve now as first responders, uh, whether we serve in government service. Um, to have those illusions melt away, uh, it's... Uh, People do it kicking and screaming, and I think of Plato's allegory of the cave. Um, the people, uh, you take them all. Uh, Plato talked about the illusions of reality reflected on the cave wall from the fire behind most people. And uh, they only see shadows of the truth. And But every now and then you have someone who turns and faces the fire, and most of the time their eyes are burned by the brightness, and they turn right back to the cave to the shadows. And then out of that group, you have a smaller group that even says, hey, there's a light over there. And they walk out of the cave out in the bright light of those people. Most of them from the pain turn and go back to the cave and sit down with their back to the fire of truth, looking at the shadows of reality on the wall. And every now and then you get people who come out into the light and they bear the pain and the burn of the sun and uh, they embrace the truth. And it's, it's a small group of people. We call them one percenters or three percenters, or it's always a very small segment of the population that's willing to peel back the layers of illusion and propaganda that seem to be really what's going on in this country. Now, I don't know if it's always been going on and it's been subtle, or if it's just gotten really bad because of the way politics have been in the last 20 years, but I have never seen... Um, so much disinformation, misinformation, propaganda, and people basically trying to tear our country apart at the seams. So with that in mind, we started talking politics. We started, uh, as you guys heard, politics start to permeate my talk about it, my business. 
And then we started running into these like-minded people. And we're like retards in an airport. We run up to each other. Hey, what's going on? You're another person. <laughs> Got a sunburn on their face from the reality, the light of reality. And uh, it's not a propaganda thing. It's um, willing to... And I think of that biblical quote where when I became a man, I put away my childish things. And I think about the truth uh, that you have to peel back the layers of the onion to get to and the propaganda that is out there and the pop propaganda that's out there are the childish things we have to put away. And I challenge everybody to do that. And it's uncomfortable. Uh, and the truth is most of us believe what we believe because of our parents or pastor Bob on Sunday told us, and we've been programmed and indoctrinated. Most of us have not built a very thoughtful ethos or worldview. So to get the opportunity to pull people in and talk politics from our uh, from our law enforcement class, from our political class, from our elected class, um, we, we're doing it a lot here in Arizona and um, getting a chance to have you guys meet these folks that are definitely part of the uh, kind of in-charge elected ruling class of Arizona and reaching out to the federal government now. I look forward to getting more and more federal people on as well. I think we've got a guest today who uh, I just heard about in the last year, and he's kind of splashed around the scene. It was funny. I saw him and, uh, from across the room, and I thought, there was like a country and western star walking through the room. The girls rolled around him and everybody was whooping and hollering. And uh, he's made a name for himself in Arizona. And as engaged as I am, I hadn't heard of him until Charlie Kirk's turning point. I don't know, was that about five months ago? Yeah, three or four months ago. Was that? Um, and uh, so today we've got uh, Sheriff Flam uh, from the Pinal County Sheriff's Department. He's the head of that organization here in town. Um, we've got him. Uh, he's come up. And uh, he's agreed to sit down and uh, welcome to the Belly of the Beast. Nice, nice to have oh, you here. Thank you. I How appreciate you it. This has been awesome. So, this is what the Belly of Beast is. I love it. <laughs> all right. Good, good. So it was interesting. I heard you talk, uh, my dad and I, and uh, Jason actually out here working the board. We, The three of us went to the Charlie Kirk's yeah. thing. And uh, when you got up and talked, I, I thought it was funny. Um, I noticed uh, some ingenues to politics that were a little clunky. I saw people that were nervous in front of the group. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're fucking dead. If, <laughs> if you're nervous in front of a group, you're dead. Yeah. You got to seem real natural, and you got to be able to grab a room if you want to do politics. I've been yeah. interviewing politicians who want big jobs, and uh, they don't capture the room no. a lot of times. Um, I see policy wonks. I see guys that I'd have be my chief of staff. Right. But they, they don't know how to walk into a crowd and get everyone's attention. Um, I noticed you kind of have that knack. So <laughs> it's the cowboy hat. Yeah, yeah, it's the cowboy <laughs> hat. So, you know, you got a big, relaxed, easy smile. You're an Arizona cowboy-looking fella, and uh, you have an interesting background. You grew up all over. Yeah. Sounds like you were born in Hawaii, raised there. Yeah, big Island. Then down in the Philippines. Yeah. Um, Tell me, your dad had a job where he got to travel for work. Is that about right? So my dad was a graduate of Thunderbird Business College. Right. So it's an international business school here in Phoenix. And uh, my dad always loved international business. And so he was always his own boss. Um, I grew up with that kind of mentality. Okay, what the hell does he do? Like, what is international? So a lot of our business throughout the years was scrap metal. Um, oh. So he would also do some contracts for the government. So... 
it, it, the government puts out contracts like, hey, who wants to go grab these D8 tractors in India? And so people will bid on those contracts. Well, my dad used to bid on those contracts until oh. he kind of snookered them a couple of times and then they're um then they didn't want him on those contracts anymore so he actually we our scrap metal was our family business for a long time like when we lived in panama we had the the, the contract with the panamanian government for all this scrap metal so i grew up throwing scrap that's what i did i mean it was hard work but we loved it <laughs> awesome so scrap metal brought you around the world yes sir all right so um spence how long did you spend in the philippines we were in the Philippines for a year. When we left Hawaii, we went to the Philippines. Whatever it was that my dad was trying to get going there didn't quite work out. Um, and then we came back to Arizona after a year just to kind of regroup, which is where he was from. He was from Chandler. Um, so come back to your home base, kind of regroup. Uh, but the Philippines was great for us because we learned uh, we learned about we learned to love America much more because we saw poverty on a whole different level. Um, I love just, hearing people like wax rhapsodic about what's screwed up with america who haven't been around. i know because i'm like you know like i love i mean i i've enjoyed going around the world i've been all over the world sure. as well um and uh honestly i i don't really want to go anywhere anymore like i don't care about there's no i don't need to go to teotihuacan i don't need to go to I, I, there's no place i want to go anymore like right. I, it's not like i'm as i I, I'm anti-foreign or anything. I, I'm like, okay, I've seen it all. It's a bunch of buildings, a bunch of old shit. And then everywhere I go, I always feel a little exposed. I'm like, okay, anything can happen here. The government can do whatever they want. I have no rights here. And I feel, as I've gotten older, you know how you get a little more risk-averse as you get oh, older? Yeah. Like, we're not meant in our 50s to be kicking down doors and snagging. We take, we take risks different way, differently. Yeah, yeah. when yeah. you got four kids and a wife, you start going, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I... Okay. <laughs> it's so... so uh, I just, I, I did a lot of travel when I was younger and it expanded my consciousness and allowed me to see, I guess, the relative awesomeness of America. So that's funny. My, I wrote a book called American Sheriff, Traditional Values in Modern World. And the first chapter I wrote is called Welcome to America. And it talks about my time overseas. And I, I open it up with, I was in Panama when the U.S. invaded Panama. So we saw that firsthand. And I kind of open it up with that story. But what I talk about was... I, in there, I talk about, I'm not a government program guy. Like I don't like government programs at all. They never go away. Uh, they're not, that's not what government, the federal government was designed for. But I said, look, if you want to institute a program that's beneficial to America, make every 18 year old kid spend one year. They can pick the country. They can go to the Bahamas for all I care. One year outside of America. You mean like Mormons do? Yeah, like it's we do. That's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I did. I went to yeah. Argentina. All right. Um, but yeah, go spend one year outside this country. I promise you, you will come back with an appreciation of this country, a deep appreciation for America, for freedom, for what we have. The problem is we got a bunch of kids that have no concept of what the world is outside of America. Well, it's shocking how many kids grow up in Marin County and hate America. Yeah. I'm like, you're driving a G-Wagon to high school. And they hate America. And you hate America? I mean, are you kidding me? They have no clue. <laughs> they have no clue what they're talking about. Yeah. What the, the, they have no clue what gift from God they were given to be born in America. Yeah, it's um lottery times twenty. It is. Like I, I thank God all the time that I was born an American, because I've lived other places and they're beautiful. And some of those people will spend their entire lives fighting 
just scrapping for their next meal. Right. And you're born in this country where you can be whatever you want to be. You, you're able to achieve what your purpose in life is, is which is to be the best you you can be. Most of the world is, um, I, I think it's, it's existence living. It's not thriving living. It's existence right. living where either you, you're, there's so much downward pressure on your ability to earn that you're never really going to get ahead. So you, yeah. it's kind of laid out for you or, uh, or you don't even think about the opportunities for personal, personal actualization yeah. because you don't even see that going on. You just step into what's there for you. Everything's, you know, kind of dic a lot, a lot's dictated by the government everywhere yeah. you go. And they're the ones that put the roof on you. Yeah. Uh, we had a guy from Argentina come here and live with us and I have a very business mind. I like anything's possible for me. And so he was not like that. Like he grew up in a place where there was a very distinct ceiling on how high you can yeah. go. And it blew his mind. He's like, I can't believe you think this way. It's like, this is America. You can do whatever you want. It's so weird. And, uh, and what happens is you have people all over the globe who actually never become themselves. That's right. Because their creativity and their personal, you know, we talk of the stuff that Americans are concerned with is mental masturbation for the rest of the world. <laughs> we talk about wanting fulfillment. Yeah. Right. The world's trying to get a full they're stomach. They're not worried about fulfillment. <laughs> they're not even worried about a full stomach. They just want something in their stomach. Right. And, and, you know, like Disneyland, the least racist place on planet earth, probably, um, they're worried about transgender bathrooms. Uh, in a place where people pay $250 to come in and spend another $250. Right. To be amused. Right. So it, we we have arguments in the cream of existence. Our, it's like everything in America is now an argument about stuff that the rest of the world thinks is just downright silly. Uh, because everybody shows up in their corporate jet to talk about saving the environment <laughs> um everybody uh shows up uh talking about uh, global warming and everyone you know shows up in these big vehicles they've driven from their suburban uh 4, square foot house uh burning electricity like it's going out of business it's made it a nuclear power plant you know people just living um paradoxical uh uh I would say lives that are not centered around their worldview and lives where people's worldview are uncoupled from the life they're living. Right. You know, they have all these highfalutin like Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> he's really worked up about the environment, but he's got a, you know, a hundred meter yacht. He flies around in a Gulf stream all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's convenient. And well, if you could, you would too. Right. <laughs> but I mean, maybe, uh, but it, I um I see that going on at every level. Everybody seems to forgive him for that, uh, as the leaders of the world fly in big jets all to meet right. in Europe, and and uh, talk. Who's about... the biggest proponent of it? John Kerry back in the day wasn't he the guy? Like he was no, it was like Al, Al, Gore. Gore. Al Gore. Al Gore. Yeah. And then that guy, that guy made all it was was for money for him. Yeah. He made so much money off of a. Uh, really, I think is what is a fallacy, but it, the, the concept of, hey, the world's going to come to an end if we don't take care of it. And uh, you know what? 20 years from now, it's going to be exactly the same as what it is now. You know, I saw fascinating. You know, look, uh, you're, you're a couple years. Were you born 71 or 72? 72. Yeah. Uh, you're a couple years younger than I am. And when we were kids, 
they were talking about New York being underwater oh, and yeah. there was going to be levees everywhere. And it was like, and if they were doing this in the 70s, they were doing it in the 80s. They've right. been doing it in the 90s. Um, so, I, you know, we live little tiny slices. We don't live through an epoch. So there's clearly some change going on, but there's been massive change going on forever. Sometimes it happens slower. Sometimes it happens faster. Um, I, I... It's funny. I just don't get too worked up about it all because no. it, it, it goes back to one of the things I tell kids and I tell people and when I go speak at different places, I said, look, don't get caught up in the chaos of what the world is. Don't get caught up in the chaos that your government wants you to, to live in because it justifies their existence when your world is chaotic. Right. That's why they create a chaotic world. They're selling world. you chaotic because they, they want your money to rescue you. And they want you to not be in control of your own faculties, your own mind. Right. They want you to be all anxiety and, hey, I'm, I'm nervous, Sheriff, what's going on? And I tell people, control what you can control. And the climate is not something you can control. Yeah. And uh, most people, they can't control much outside of their house. That's just not what their, their span of control doesn't exist past that. You know, there's a, there's a weird paradigm between the ruling class, especially in Washington and the rest of us. And I've noticed it. Um, did you go to college? I went to a little bit of college and I realized it wasn't for me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a real snootiness about college in this country and it's in Europe as well. And, uh, you know, you didn't go to college in Europe in the old days. If the, the reason they had college was for your second and third sons. <laughs> because your first son, he was learning how to take care of the family estate, right. the empire, That's the business. Point. If you were a cobbler, your old, old, eldest son was going to take over your shop. So you, if you were well-to-do, um, and this is really the university system, you know, Padua and Oxford and all, all, all the schools around Europe, the hallowed halt institutions, you would send your second and third son there. Like, oh, my second son, he's going to be a doctor, which is like, because, you know, he can't take over the family <laughs> estate. <laughs> so we've got this weird thing that's happened in our country, you know, and, and I think it comes back to race in the 1950s is why do we have these disparities well instead of actually looking at what the disparities are they go oh well we've got a class of people that are educated and they're doing really well so let's get everybody educated and they've turned the eye of government that way like that's the fix right and then they put and and that's okay but then they put the money behind it and the guarantee behind it and what we've seen is the costs skyrocket the return on investment isn't there people are getting college degrees for jobs you don't need a college degree most sales jobs you don't need a college degree M most uh customer relations jobs you know everyone's getting all of these uh, college degrees and we value uh intellectualism over experience now and uh I don't know if you're familiar with Thomas Sewell, the economist. Oh, yeah. He talks about intellectualism being uncoupled from experiential empiricism in reality is madness. And I feel like we've got a, a country that we've stopped demanding results and everyone's got all kinds of highfalutin intellectual yeah, ideas. All these theories. Yeah, and they, they're not connected to outcomes. And you probably see it in... You have a big rural swath of land that you cover. I talk about it with people all the time. I said, you know, if my city has a water problem, I'm going to go talk to a couple of smart farmers before I'm going to talk to engineers. Yeah. 
I know it sounds kind of crazy, yeah. but I've seen this time and time again, and I'm sure you see it out in your oh, world. Oh, in construction, engineers will sit here and they'll draw something out, and they'll be like, because that's what they were taught. This is going to work, and it's great. And then the construction guy will take one look at those plans. A guy who never went to college, he'll take one look at those plans and go, your kid doesn't work. Yeah, you can't right. do it. That How are you going to do that? How are you going to lift that thing? In because there? there's the practical application right. of of it. It's uncoupled. It's that intellectual. Yeah. So I always feel like engineers are great consultants. <laughs> They're great That's consultants right. to pragmatism. And so um, I'm always looking these days. What I'm really looking for, I'm looking for people, whether it's in politics or it's in law enforcement or it's in policy. Especially when we talk about the southern border, which we're going to get into in a few minutes. I'm looking for from the people that I want in the ruling class now, I have two things. Do they have a smart or intellectual side? And have they balanced it with experiential outcomes? And and this seems to be the only thing anyone cares about. Are they where do they go to they go to Princeton, Dartmouth, Yale, Harvard? Are they from the big list of schools? They're super smart. They've got all these accreditations. And I'm like, well, that's really good, but what have you done with it? Like, do you have What's your experience? If all you've ever done is government and education, I think the chances are you're a moron. <laughs> you have to get out and actually apply it and see results because you start to put it in perspective. Yeah. Uh, you know, kids come out of college, they think they got it all figured out, and then they go out and start doing stuff, and they go, huh, that's not quite what I expected. Well, I like that huh moment. That's where I think <laughs> the truth is, you know. Now you have an educated person who – takes it in context and see reality and they balance the two things, right? This is the challenge with law enforcement because what's happened is, is a lot of your leadership in law enforcement haven't been on the road for 15, 20 years. Well, law enforcement has changed dramatically over the last 10 years. Right, and then they have a master's degree in public policy. And that's what the other thing is. They send them to the FBI Academy or they send them to all these places and they teach you what they think leadership is. And they teach a lot of great principles. But leadership is having the courage and courage courageous leadership means not deterred by danger or pain and so what's happened now is we have a lot of guys who are technically and i'm doing my air quotes leaders when they're not true leaders they were in a leadership position they were sent to some trainings and they're doing the best they can we have very few true leaders in law enforcement that are willing to go out there and lead from the front that still understand what the work is on the streets mm -hmm. that still go out and do that. And I've been saying a lot lately, what we saw over the last two years, and it's been happening for a while. It's like a boil, you know, water boils. And the next thing you know, you look at it and it's bubbling all over the place, but you didn't notice it really getting to that point. Well, what would happen in law enforcement is the guys, the men and women who held the, that are on the line, they held the line. And who didn't hold the line was the leadership across this country. Mm -hmm. We got soft. We, you know, we we said, oh, you know what? We will change the way we do things because of of what you're saying. They didn't have the statistics to back it up. There was no no statistics to support bias in law enforcement or excessive force. They or were those just experimenting, things. uncoupled intellectualism. All it was, was you now had cameras. And so now you're showing just a few incidences and you want to change the entire profession because of it mm -hmm. when the statistics don't support it. And what you needed now more than ever were strong leaders to go, hold on. It's not true. 
This isn't because tr- they're there. Show me the statistics that say that and we'll make changes. And the crazy part is this, the statistics are out there. I mean, the they National are. Chiefs of Police Association, the FBI, Crime Bureau statistics, the statistics are everywhere about how not racist law enforcement is. Exactly. Um, the, the statistics are out there on how stunningly safe it is. I don't know if there was something like 280 million police civilian interactions and how actually safe it is to interact with law enforcement. Well, the, the, the percentage of of bad use of force, I think, was 0.00003%. It's crazy. Um, in 2019, and look, any death, any loss of life, life is tragic. Um, but in 2019, I think it was 999 people were killed by police. Um, and I think out of those 12 were suspicious you know like well there was it wasn't apparent that it was a good shoot or that the that that person uh that the police acted in appropriately yeah and uh and so we we let a bunch of neo-marxists steal the narrative and they were able to steal it because the news people aren't doing their job i feel like the biggest critical thing we have in this whole country is we don't actually having we don't actually have an institution speaking truth to power anymore. You know, we've always had the electorate and then we release a little bit of our liberties to a group of people to help manage right. the collective, right? Which is enumerated in the constitution very specifically. And then and then we've always had this free and independent press which is supposed to speak truth to power. And it turns out they just want to go to the cocktail parties and be invited to the show. So they just say whatever the ruling class wants them. And they happen to mostly be leftists. Yeah, they are. They wanted the same control and power that the politicians want. They want to, They all want to feed off that same carcass. It's the greatest collusion in history. It is. And I don't know if it's... I, I, I believe that it's intentional. But whether it's unintentional or whatever, in the end, look, I believe this is all a battle of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And evil, we know if you're a Christian in the end, evil does not prevail. But what we're seeing is a real battle between good and evil. And that line is becoming further and further apart. We're seeing now that evil firsthand. We're seeing the hypocrisy. We're seeing the lies that yeah. come out. And the only way to sell that evil is you got to all be on the same page. Well, you know, I think uh, I think. I have a tendency, I have my own uh, religious beliefs, and I have a tendency to not, I, I don't refer to them because it turns so many people's ears to shut off. I appreciate you being bold enough to say it, but I, I, I it would be a last resort for me. I'm like, um, Marxism is evil. It is. Marxism is evil, and folks who are espousing it are evil, and we we don't have to theorize about it we've no, seen no, what it's done over the last hundred years and not to get really deep into a religious conversation but if you know anything about satan or anything about evil it's designed to restrict your freedom of choice your freedoms it's that's what he wants he wants to inhibit you whether it's through drug usage whether it's through committing a crime and going to prison if you really look at it evil is designed to control every aspect of you and restrict your freedom and and that's what happens and so anything that has that same model that is designed to restrict your freedom like marxism socialism communism it's it's clearly not of god because of it would be designed to give you the ability to choose freedom of choice and yeah, allow you to make it, mistakes because all three of the things you just mentioned crush the individual they do 
And it is all and it about crushes the, the individual spirit, the, right. the ability to go out and be the best you you can be. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's crazy. So we have it, the uh, the group that's supposed to be, speak truth to power and keep us informed of what's going on behind closed doors while we're all working, earning a living, paying for our kids and managing life. That group that's supposed to inform us, they're propagandizing us. They've all turned into Marxists. The schools have turned into uh, Marxist hotbeds. No one's putting it in check. There's no accountability. And accountability is the number one thing I see missing in this country. And, and people don't have the courage to speak the truth. I think it was um, Socrates was asked, what's the most important virtue of man? And, uh, and, they, and the students debate, the, the young people at his feet. Oh, it's uh, this, it's that, it's this, it's that. When it's all over, he says, and I think it was Socrates. And he said, he said the most important thing is courage. And they're like, what? And he says, without courage, there is no space for truth. Because the truth hurts mm. yet the courage is the That's most true. important thing which is why which is why we revel in our heroes because cellularly i think we know from the classics cellularly in western western civilization we know courage that's why we like football you know it's why, why we like the idea of the archetypal football player who's courageous it's why we like the soldier coming home it's because they're courageous and we superimpose a lot of phony on top of them they're just regular people but the reason we do ticker tape parades is to honor courage because courage without it we don't have america we don't have the truth we don't have freedom of voice we don't have freedom of religion we don't have freedom of speech we don't have a country right and uh it's and, and and so now courage is pishad by all these skinny jean wearing hipsters. And, They've uh, redefined courage from being a man, being an alpha male, um, a warrior. They've taken that and said you're no longer courageous. This person who decided, this person who decided they they no longer want to be the gender they were born as. That's courage. That's right. what they're saying. They're changing. They're trying to change the narrative because. In a society like where you want to create a docile and a soft society, you have to eliminate the alpha males. You have to emasculate the society. Right. And what's happening is we're watching the emasculation of our society. And that's why the men, the alpha males are standing out more and more is because we've eliminated so many of them. And now the few that are left stand out like sore thumbs. I've, um, I've talked to my friends who are in you know tier one, teams in the military and uh, they're saying it's a major problem for the youngsters coming up because there's a lot of wokeism in your your average 22 year old 21 year old 23 year old that they don't even know is there you know they want to go be a navy seal they want to go bsf they want to uh be a some sort of tier one pipe hitter and they show up and they've got wokey woke ideas that immediately come in conflict with the senior cadre who've been there doing the dirty work for a long time yeah. you know kind of interesting so um you uh bounced around do you speak any other languages i speak spanish fluently yeah okay that works where'd you yeah. pick that up so my family lived in panama when i was in high school yeah. so i worked every summer there okay. and then uh spent a lot of time there picked it up a little bit but then i served a mission for my church in argentina so i learned the castellano okay. now it's very different but it's uh you know spanish nonetheless and so um spent two years there had to learn it um by force 
Uh, the first place I went was a little country town, and the guy that they hooked, they gave as my companion didn't speak a lick of English. Nobody in that town spoke English. And so within three, four months, I was speaking fluent Spanish. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> Uh, being a you know having a second language a third language is a, a huge gift. Oh, it does. People it that helps. don't have it don't realize what a big power it is. And then it's hugely powerful for you where you're at. So for those of you who don't know, Pinal County is uh, all the way down to the southern border, right? Um, no, us, we're about give us the outlines. So we're about fifty. We're between Phoenix and Tucson. Oh, okay, you're in the. So what's the, the one right on the border? That's uh, so south of us is Pima County. Oh, that's Pima. That's right. And then okay. Coach. So you have Cochise, Santa Cruz, Pima, and then Yuma county those are the actual border counties and Pinal, you guys are in the middle we're we're 50 miles 60 miles above the border okay um but where we struggle is one the i-10 and the i-8 freeways um are go right through a main artery right through our county mm -hmm. and it, that is one of the main arteries for the cartels in america most of the drugs that come into america make their way up the i-10 at some point um and then you have the the Indian Reservation, the Tahano Odom Indian Reservation on the south end of my county. Mm -hmm. So my county goes about 20 miles into that reservation. That reservation actually goes into Mexico. So it's on both sides of the border. And while you see what you're seeing on the news with the Haitians over in Texas or all these families showing up to Yuma, I can assure you the cartel loves that because while all the Border Patrol and ICE are focused on that and American people are focused on that, they're pushing military age men from who knows what countries with who knows what kind of criminal backgrounds into counties like mine with camouflage clothes on and carpet shoes. Uh, bringing dangerous drugs like methamphetamine and fentanyl. So when I tell people this is not a political issue, it shouldn't matter whether you're a Republican, whether you're a Democrat, or whether you're an independent. If you care about human beings, then you should absolutely care about border security because the cartel is abusing people on a daily basis. They rape the women. They use the children as pawns and oftentimes rape the children as well. They extort the men and force the men to carry drugs and the women. So we as Americans have lost our moral compass to where we allow politics to trump that. Um, we've said, well, it suits my politics, so I'm going to turn a blind eye to the, to, the to the atrocities that are happening, to yeah. the truth. Like you said, the truth hurts. Yeah. And the truth is people are being abused and they just, politics mean more to them, so they're willing to turn a blind eye to that. Now... What you've seen is the amount of fentanyl coming into this country. I would say right now, I would contend that if you were to shut the border down, a hard shutdown where nobody else came across, the cut is already too deep. What you've allowed in here is going to is going to have a do some real damage on our economy because these people are going to make that money and send it back to their respective countries, which is going to leave a huge hole in our economy. Um, you've got the fentanyl, which is probably the biggest problem we will face in America over the next few years. There's already over 100,000 fentanyl deaths this year. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if that doubled or tripled next year. Um, it, it, it's so easy, so easy to get. It's a couple bucks a pill, and kids are buying it, and they're ODing and middle-aged and elderly. They're all overdosing on this fentanyl, and that will be one of the biggest scourges on America over the next few years. And, you know, we let it in. We let it in. We let it walk right through our back door, front door, whatever door they wanted to come in. You know, we've never seen in certainly the last hundred years, we have never seen a president come in. Every president has always wanted secure borders. It's always been. As did this guy several years ago. years ago. Yeah. 
It, we've never ever seen this uh, systematic dismantling, and we, okay, we've never had a border. I've I know folks in CBP, and and I've been told by career dudes there has never been a more secure border in on the American southern border to Mexico than we had 18 months ago. Said it was the most secure border we've ever had. Yes, sir. And it was felt in every county along the entire, I don't know, 1,700 miles. Or how long's the border? Total border, you know? Um, I know through Arizona it's three or 400. I think it's probably about 1,500, 1,700 miles. A, it's, yeah. a, it's a huge border. Yeah. And a lot of it's really rugged terrain. And a lot of it you can just walk through. And it's been secured uh, because of policy, because of our law enforcement actions because of letting people do their jobs right. and a multi-layered approach to kind of tightening it up. And we've never seen a president take office and systematically dismantle a border before. That's Mayorkas and him. Oh, I know. And his little, the little <laughs> I... Politburo around Joe Biden. And to see, like I just heard this morning, 2.3 million illegals is what they're estimating have made it into the country. Yeah. And I have no problem with Mexicans. And they so they think if you want border security, you're a racist. So far from the truth. It's, it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, these are the same people sitting back in these East Coast states and along the West Coast who don't have, care enough about people to actually come down and try to save these people right. like we do every day. Right. So they just want to sit from their little high perches and, and armchair quarterback what we do when the reality is we are the least racist. We are out there putting our lives on the line to save these folks every day. Everybody I know who works the border or works in a county along the border has have, have saved lives many, 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 many times. Oh, many, many, yeah. many times. And you ask anybody who's got real strong views on taking down the border and almost none of them have ever saved a single life. No. It's pretty telling. Yeah. You have a group of people who've actually not touched humanity who are destroying That's right. the greatest country on the planet. It's the greatest country not Which because, is why they're able to destroy it because they have no concept of what humanity is. They don't understand it. They're not they don't it's not part of their everyday life. It's uncoupled it's uncoupled intellectualism. You yeah. know, they learned this at uh, University of Chicago or they learned it at UC Berkeley or they learned it at Brown or at Princeton or Dartmouth or Yale or Harvard, went to the Kinsey Institute, got a master's degree from this place or the Wharton School or whatever. And then um, they take their ideas and they haven't actually done anything and they don't care no. about observing and seeing the truth. You know, the vice president, she's not gone down to the border to see the the cost, the human cost at the border. I think people don't really understand it if they don't live down in a, a border state. People in Arizona don't understand it. I can take yeah. people from here in the media, um, politicians who talk about it, and then I'll take them to places in my county where my desert is littered with camouflage clothes and backpacks and carpet and shoes. bodies and and we find bodies and they, it, I will show them the remnants of that and they can literally feel the people that have come into this country illegally and they feel that like it's almost like if you walked into your house and you could tell somebody was sitting in your couch and sleeping in your bed and you have that feeling of violated that they start to feel that when they take them into these areas where you see the remnants of the people that came into this country illegally mm -hmm. and you don't know who they are. 
And Border Patrol will tell you there's a 600% increase this last year of people with criminal histories right. coming into the country. Majority of them being sex offenders that we are now allowing to come back in here because we didn't do our job. You know, this people, Americans have a gift. We like to, we think the best of everyone. But they have a tendency to to not face the reality of what goes on in the third world. Well, Mer Americans are myopic. We only care about our own lives and we only care about maybe our own country. But we're proving to even not even care about our own country. Well, and that's pretty normal. I think that's probably pretty normal everywhere. But my, I think what my thing is, we don't understand if you get around the world, the rape, the incest, oh. the stuff that is normal that they don't even prosecute as a crime because they're just barely getting by in many places in the world. There's not and enough I, police. I would say it's three quarters of the world. They're like, oh yeah, we're just going to deal with real crimes. Yeah. They, they don't even consider it a real crime in three quarters of the world. And they think, and so we've got all these feminists tearing apart, tearing at the soul of our country, dismantling it because of some bugaboo evil that maybe existed or from a past century. And it's really happening. But then those folks come here and they bring the third world with them when they come. They don't come clean. And I, I think that's a big grind that nobody's willing to talk about or face. No, they don't. And it, Trump, kind, President Trump kind of said it. He did and got completely lambasted for yeah. saying it. And the, and the reality is, is that we're not getting the best of the best. The no. majority of the people that come here, and I can tell you firsthand that they, they come here, those people, those countries aren't going to miss those people because they were probably the poor people in those countries. Every now and then, like I was flying the border the other day and we ran across a family in the middle of the desert. Um, they had just been dropped off and crossed over. And honestly, if we hadn't found them, I don't know what would have happened to them. If the cartel would have found them, there would have been problems. Um, if they didn't, if they went the wrong direction, they would have likely died out there. But it was a husband. He was a engineer. The wife was a an attorney, I think. Um, and then there was a 16-year-old boy a nine-year-old with autism boy and a little girl in a stroller Ven That's from Venezuela. Normal. It's not normal. Right. And it's not what we normally find. If we didn't find him, I mean, obviously that was divine intervention yeah. because if we didn't find him, they probably would have had a tragic end to that. But my point being, the majority of the people are not like that. Right. Majority of the people coming here probably can't read and write. Probably... Uh, have no idea. They're just kind of subsistence. They just want to find their next meal. And that doesn't contribute to a productive society. Yeah. I'm not saying that we shouldn't make room for them, but I'm just saying that it, when you allow you millions bring two of people, million a year in. you can't bring 2 million people in here because what's going to happen is they're going to end up on government programs and yeah. different things. And we can't afford it. We're bankrupt. You know, I, I, I and I think that gets lost in the, it gets lost in the shuffle. We got two things going on. Um, the worst group I've ever seen at anything is the government. The <laughs> yeah, government's would, the worst. I would say I wouldn't let everything. them run my hot dog stand. Right. And they're running the border. Um, they're running the in-processing, which is inefficient. Well, I would say they're, they're in charge of it. I don't know if they're running yeah, it. Yeah, you're, they're you're doing right. a crappy right. job. They've created a crisis where it is so weird to get in the United States. We have such fickle policy for about who we let in that it's created an economy where like, you know what, all we got to do is get to Mexico. We can walk in the United States because we can't do it through the government. They're stupid.
My nephew lived in Panama, grew up in Panama. He's an American. He married a Panamanian girl. They happened to have their baby while they were here. Well, she was here. So now the baby is born of an American dad in America. She could not get back in the country. It took her two years to get a visa. All the while, people crossing the border illegally on the right. southern border, them right. doing nothing about it, not turning those people away. Yeah, at away. some point you say, look, just drive up to Mexico. We'll come get you and we'll just walk. But I they mean, wanted to do it the right way like I, so many I, other people. I, I get, and, I but it. I said that like I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe you got to look at some other options. But I would never encourage anybody to come here illegally. And I told him, like, you just be patient. I tried to connect them with people at, at ICE that could help. But here's that's a perfect example of so many people that would be contributing members of yeah. our society. Here she was married to an American. She couldn't get into the and, country. And that her son was a, the very best. And there are there's so much talent and beauty in South America and Central America. The very best won't come walk across the desert. They won't come break the law. So what we've done is we pump the brakes because of our stupid fucked up bureaucracy right. on the very best yeah. who all want to come here and we allow people who've got nothing to lose but to break the law and come and here nothing to give nothing. i know i know and and so i i don't want to paint this brush that's anti-hispanic or anti-south american or anti-mexican um people that don't live down here don't know i'm a native i've been growing up around people speaking spanish my whole life uh i but it's not even about there's there's people that they've uh, apprehended from over uh, I think it's now at 167 right. different countries. Right. So it's not just about people from Mexico or people from Guatemala. Right. There are people from all over the world that are being apprehended on the border. So it has nothing to do with like So let me ask you a question. Why don't the same very same group of people who were holding the border 18 months ago and now uh, are not holding the border? Why don't they just disobey the federal government and just say, let's do what we were doing 18 months ago. Let's just export everyone that we catch. We bring them back, go over and process them out of the country, and we'll get in trouble with our boss later. They can't fire us all. So, and they, they, to a certain point, they do that. They do that. But as soon as they find out, look at what happened with the horses. That wasn't the first day they were using the horses. Right. But they happened to catch it on video and they painted a picture which was completely untrue, which the video that American people could see with their own two eyes, the media was telling them a different story of yeah. what they could see with their own two eyes. Yeah. And because of that, they eliminated them immediately. The next day they were like, you're done. I mean, so... So they take away a great tool. So and look move. at what Texas... Every time Texas tries to do something to fix it, who's who's there to sue them? The same government whose job it was to protect us in the first place. Yeah. SB 1070. They passed that many, many years ago here in Arizona. Who was it that undid that? The government. The federal government went and undid it and said... The courts overturned it and said, it's not your job, it's the federal government's job. Well, what do you do now when the federal government isn't doing their job? Right. Doesn't Shouldn't it then by default fall to the states and give the states the ability and the right to do it if the federal government's not going to do it? So in answer to you that, they are doing it to a certain point. You know, we have to treat Border Patrol like confidential informants now that give us information. But these same Border Patrol guys, are the, they will punish them they'll the, the the retribution is swift and immediate when the government finds out that they're doing contrary to what they want which 
goes to show you that this is purposely uh, being uh, executed on the American people. Yeah, I feel like uh, I've I've never I feel like we're under siege right now, and uh, it's not these poor people's fault coming up from South America. Ah, they're they're else. a pawn they're on just, the chessboard. Yeah, they are. Um, I feel like there's a, a siege going on from Washington, um, where they've got their control, the the long arm of control in everything we do, and they're abdicating their primary responsibilities, which are enumerated in the Constitution, right? Right. Um, and so. Uh, we're just feckless. I had a conversation with our senator the other day. Which one? Senator Kelly. Yeah. And uh, I don't think, it, I think he was going to call me and, and pat me on the head and like a good little boy. I just, and it wasn't five, you know, two, three minutes into the conversation that I was like, Senator, I kind of disagree with you more. And that was the point where he was talking about hiring more Border Patrol agents. And I said, Senator, you're not going to be able to hire him if you continue with this mandate, the vaccine mandate. You're not going to be able to hire him. He said, oh, well, that's just too bad, you know, because I don't know how this became political. And I was uh, like, I know, how I know exactly how it became political. Yeah, they made it political. And, and he goes, well, you know, if everybody would just get vaccinated, then we would. And I said, hold on, Senator. I am going to stop you right there. I cannot strongly disagree with you enough. And I told him, I said, Senator, your job is not to let your politics get in the way. You represent the people. You swore the same oath that I did to protect and defend the Constitution. Whether you think people should get vaccinated or not is no bearing on what you should and do. And none of your goddamn business. What you business. should do is represent the people, and you should fight for their right their constitutional right to live the life that they choose, whether whether it aligns with your 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 political ideologies or values, or you, go to New York City if that's what you want. Yeah, but he's and we we went back and forth for twenty minutes and stuff, and and, and how'd it go? Went fine for me because I was able to tell him how I felt, but yeah. you know, in the end, he's like, "Well, I don't think we're you know we're gonna have to just agree to disagree." And I said, "Look, you you basically everything you told me, your statistics and stuff don't support it. Don't support it on COVID, the border issues. I don't want to hear." You. I was gonna tell you earlier. I was laughing when you were talking about Mayorkas because he goes, "Well, I talk to Mayorkas all the time," and oh. I and I I go, "He's useless. He's useless." Yeah. And there was a pause on the phone. He's like well that's my contact and i go well he's not gonna do us any good, good i job. said what i want to hear you do as my senator is i want to hear you call out this presidency because they're the ones that are responsible yeah. joe biden kamala harris what i want you to do is i want you on behalf of the arizona people because you know it's a problem and a crisis you know that you need to say it to them and you need to be public about it it's not going to stop until uh, oh here's another one how dare you conflate uh people getting vaccines yeah. with securing the border you know i mean how how dare you how about they're unrelated how about this are you are you vaccinating everybody coming across the border i mean how dare them how dare you i'm not gonna do my job because we're gonna we're gonna agree to disagree over vaccines how dare you right that's that's the craziest thing ever well you like apples i don't like oranges so i'm not gonna secure the border that's that's crazy. We don't need more. We don't need more CBP agents. No, because we did. Eighteen months ago, we were doing just fine with our CBP agents. We what have, we need is better policies. We have leadership. We That's have a right. lack of leadership. That's right. And so the lack of leadership is eroding our country. It's going to kill people with fentanyl. It's inviting our enemies to rise. Our lack of leadership is inviting the Russians to invade Ukraine. 
Uh, our lack of leadership is going to invite China to invade Taiwan. And our lack of leadership for all the nice white women between the ages of 40 and 70 that didn't like obnoxious Donald Trump and voted for a weak, feckless leader. All your grandkids and your sons and your friends' sons will be the ones to go to war because of the weakness. That's right. I always say this, and it drives me crazy. Weak leadership creates war. It either does it at the end of this cycle or the beginning of the next cycle. And war almost always happens because we don't want to lose face. Yeah. Well, what is it? Joe Rogan has the thing. It says hard times or uh, no hard men create soft times or create soft men, which create hard times, which then require hard men yeah. to fix it again. Yeah. Good times create soft men. Yeah. Soft men create hard times. Yeah. Well, I, I just, uh, I saw you look at your watch. You got to run. Are you getting jammed up? Uh, one of my captains is calling me, which can't be good. Oh. <laughs> it has so, nothing to do with the time. It's just, uh, yeah, he's. Do you need to pause and step out? Let's do a, a pause call? real quick. Let yeah, me make no one problem, quick call. We're recording. Then, we can. We'll yeah. Right sorry, back. guys. Let me take yeah, a quick, you, uh, you quick break. Hey, we're back. So obviously we could go on and talk about the border for a long time and what's going on. Um, I just, I'm, I'm disgusted by, we got three more years of this. It's been a year. Well, let's hope. And this is what I keep telling people. I always say, because people are very frustrated. When yeah. I go talk, speak places locally across the country, they're just frustrated. Yeah. And I said, look, this is our opportunity to send a strong rebuking this year to this, not only this presidency, but to Congress and Senate who are feckless. They're useless. And I said, what you need to do, we can now send a strong rebuking to them and so if that happens this year which i'm i'm confident that it will the midterms yeah i'm talking yeah. about yeah now they can do a lot of damage from what we can see between now and the midterms and then technically they don't still the congress and senate doesn't take over until the end of next year you know and beginning of the following year right but that's better than three more years i already feel like they're lame ducks they've spent all their political capital and everybody's like Fuck you. Yeah. You're crazy. But that can be dangerous. So what's happening right now in this country is I love the Constitution. I love the Founding Fathers. I spent a week at the Claremont Institute uh, with some very smart people. We talked about it, and it was just, it was so refreshing. What's the Claremont Institute? Claremont Institute are people that are, they're really about the Founding Fathers. Where was uh, this So at? like Ben Shapiro's Claremont, Laura Ingram. There's a lot of people that have been through the Claremont Institute. Where's that at? That is in California, Claremont, okay. California. But we went to Huntington Beach. This was their first class of sheriffs that they had in there. Because they really, they understand the importance of the role of the sheriff. And so the sheriffs came out there and we sat and we talked about the constitution for a week and the founding fathers and the federalist papers and all these different books and, and the, the statistics of diversity and all this stuff. We, we had some great authors in there, some great people, and it was awesome. Um, but in there, we talked about the founding fathers set up the three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial. Now that I mention this, most people will now, your listeners will stop and take a look. What the problem is, is that those three are designed to keep each other in check. But now what you have is you have an executive branch who is trying to legislate. So basically they're telling you that these are laws, which they're not, they're mandates and orders because only Congress and, and Senate can actually ratify a law. And, but so they're, the executive branch is now creating laws basically yeah. for all intensive purposes they're doing that and they're they're affecting change on society they're bypassing 
what the founding fathers set up. And now you also have judges who are legislating from the bench. They're they're putting they're letting their politics come into play. Yeah. They're they're creating legislation or they're by it's basically case law by their how they run their courts. So when you get into that, your system is broken. And so we've got to do a better job of filtering out these people and getting back the three branches of government the way they were. Yeah, you know, it's been going on for, uh, it looks like to me about 30 years, we've seen the legislative branch has really abdicated its responsibility. Um, they're not coming to the table with courageous legislation. They're not leading in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and you've got weak leaders within both parties who are not having the good arguments and they're not persuading anybody. No. And so you've got these two diametrically opposed groups who can't get anything done but throw rocks at each other across the aisle. And in their their ineptitude has allowed the executive to basically rise up with executive decisions. And then they don't have to do anything. They don't have to go back and run for re-election and say, here's what I did and have to explain themselves because they don't get much done. You know, it's really common to see someone who's been a senator for... 12 years, and it's not sponsored one piece of legislation. It's really common to see people who've been in uh, the House for 14, 16 years, and three of their six pieces of legislation have been naming a building or a road, <laughs> and the other three have been co-sponsors to something else. It's very, it, it, it's very common. It's very rare to see anybody sponsor any legislation, and they don't get anybody together. They don't get anything accomplished. Which in part... I'm kind of okay with. Why? Because I don't want more laws. What I want them to do is sponsor legislation that removes government programs and removes uh, uh, government power. They I need completely to start agree. That out. But in the meantime, the, the executive has gone off and they're not checking the executive. The yeah, executive that, is doing that's whatever the point. it wants. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not checking them up. Like, for example, just not to go back into border security, but... Yeah. The same people bitching about border security and how these poor families have no, you know, legit avenue to come here and get and for freedom, are the same people in charge of it. Right. Like you, it's your job to put common sense legislation forward for for border secure for immigration because yeah. it's really not about immigration, it's about uh, human trafficking, drug trafficking on our end. But for them, if you don't like the laws, then you pass a new law. Right. That's your job. Right. So, but they don't want to do that. You know why? Because they, it goes back to, they love the chaos. They love government needing we, them feeling like we as the people need them as the government. And so they create a chaotic situation. So they, the people, they can be, hold on, old, we're going to go talk about it and we're going to see what we can do to fix it. You people just stand down. That's what we've got. I think, and you, you also have a ruling class right now that is more concerned about possessing the voters of an issue rather than fixing the problem. Because issues are all problems. They just want the issue. They want to they want to win the issue, but they don't actually want to fix the problem. If you cured cancer, would you have business anymore? Right. No. Right. Like, I mean, if the mechanic fixed every car in the town, he'd be out of a job. So talk to me a little bit about how long you've been a sheriff now? I'm in my fifth year, in, finishing up my fifth year, going into right. my sixth. All right. And you were in the sheriff's department doing law enforcement. So I started that. at uh, Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian Community at the Salt River Police Department. I started there, which was great. Um, and uh, one day I just said, hey, you know what? 
I didn't want to be part of I didn't want to be the guy that bitches about it, but doesn't do anything about it. Okay. So I said, you know what? I'm going to run for sheriff. And uh, so then I, I started the process, took a pay cut. It took a little time, but I got over to the county. I knew it was necessary for me to get in, in the county and get to know the guys. I spent a few years at the county. Then I left so that I could run for sheriff. So, yes, I was at the county a few years before I became sheriff. Um, and then I came so back. So you were as, a, as an officer in the I was at county. a deputy, yeah. All right, yeah. a deputy, right. And, and then uh, how come you have to leave to run? Well, uh, because they'll screw with you. They'll come after you. So, you know, if, for example, if there's a lot of people that don't want to see other people <laughs> succeed in life. Um, and if you become a threat, like they think you're going to run for office, all they have to do is do a write-up on you and, and maybe discipline you. And Oh, so what you're saying is the interdepartmental politics are yeah, so... It happens uh, everywhere. So sticky. You, yeah. you, you, you leave a department and then run to be the... I know guys who have stayed in different departments and they get put in the corner, put baby in the corner, you know, they, or they'll write them up for stuff or they'll try to drag their career down because then when they go to, to campaign against them, they're like... Well, he was disciplined for being dishonest or whatever it is, they'll use it against you. And I could see that I didn't want to take that chance. I was going to run against the so same people. So within the organization, would... it's super political. Of course, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, what I've tried to do is remove that. Whether I like you or you like me or whatever as the sheriff. Do the job. I, I do not hold that against people. I don't hold people back from, um, from promoting that I don't really care for. Um, I don't do that because I, I, I just, that's not my nature. My well, because it's about the job. It's about law well, enforcement. Well, I think bad, that's bad leadership. So let me ask you, you got elected in 17? I got elected in 16, took office in 17. Okay. And when do you run, how, is it a four or six year term? I just got reelected in 2020. Okay. So yes, it's a four, four year. years. Yep. All right. And, uh, so your next is 2023. I'm on the presidential cycle. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I'll start. I'll start gearing up in 2023. Be a, the run will be in 2024. Who was the sheriff before you? Uh, Babu. Oh, that was the bald gay guy, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then uh, that's why you wear the hat. You probably have a shaved head. And you want. And I have a goatee. Him, right? So I like. I grew my. I always wore a goatee before, and then when I was a cop, you know, you have to keep a fit. You know, yeah, clean yeah. shaven. Yeah. So when I was going to run again, I grew the goatee out again because <laughs> I had to be different. You know. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, and then, you but know, you know what? I, I want to give him credit where credit is due. Like yeah. there's things that I did different, but he really built a good base for us to work off of. Um, he established himself. He wasn't really a pushover when it came to the media. And so I thought he was fine, but didn't he like go down in flames at the end? Didn't he get, no, nah, not really. Something happened. No, he ran for Congress and he won the primary and then he just lost in the general. And so, you know, I mean, the media hits us on everything. Look, I've learned, I've learned that you just can't trust anything the media says. <laughs> I've been the victim of things, and I'm like, what? Right. Where do they even come? Because I know my own life. Right. I know what I've done like, and what I, I what haven't happened, done, right. and I've yet to see a truthful thing come out about me. And it's just, you know, it's it's really hard. Or to, there's a poem called "If" by Rudyard Kipling. If you've ever read it, if you haven't, you should read it. But in there it says, if you can see your words twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. And that's really what happens is you get you, what they twist it around. Even if it's something you did that was good, they'll twist it around and make a trap for people that 
that want to hate you. As Americans, we want to see you succeed, but then we want to see you fail at the same time. Okay, so you just quoted Rudyard Kipling, and then last time I heard you talk, you quoted Sun Tzu, which he's pretty He's pop quotable, but yeah. you got Sun Tzu. Then you quoted some Shakespeare. I was like, okay, he quoted some Shakespeare. I like me some Shakespeare. <laughs> and then did you quote Marcus Aurelius or there was a Roman that you quoted? Who's the Roman you quote? Uh, I quoted uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh, was it? What, what um, was it? Also quote, I quote uh, Thomas Paine. I'll quote, I love the founding fathers. I'll quote George Washington. Well, I can't Hamilton. I, you know, it was funny though. I said, you know, uh, I was telling my dad, I go, you know, I go, the, the sheriff that looked like a country and Western star just uh, spanned three eras of uh, Western literature in his speech and was, and kind of had the room. And I said, all these guys running for governor uh, looked like they were uh, fling, flinging boogers. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. I know I have people tell me all the time. They're like, you're kind of a Renaissance man, aren't you? I'd... I get that kind of stuff too. When they're not calling me a racist right. or something. Right. So let me ask you a question. What do you want to do, man? Are you going to do one more term of this and move on to bigger things? So to me, I think my vo it's about where my voice is loudest for God, family, and freedom. And right now, I think that sheriff is a more important position than anything. I, I can honestly tell you, and people don't believe me when I tell you this, I have zero desire to run for anything else. I don't want to run for governor. I don't want to run for Senate. I don't want to run for, definitely don't want to run for Congress. Why don't you want to run for governor? I just don't think that I think where I'm at now, I can stand in the gap a lot better than what governor can. Um, and then the other thing is, is I don't I don't have the money. You have to be wealthy. I live paycheck to paycheck, basically. Okay. Um, it's a midterm election. So for you to run for governor or Senate in a midterm election, you have to you have to leave your office. You can only run for another office the last year of your term. And so if it's a midterm election, you got to leave. So that means that I have to find some way to support myself. I get it. People are like, well, no, we'll raise you the money. No, that money can only be used for campaigning. Paying your bills at home is what you have to worry about. And that's why you see typically wealthy people that a lot of times are out of touch with with society or it's the same hacks that continue to run yeah. for all these other offices. Well, it's crazy. You know, I want to run not, not this cycle, but I want to run in the next one. I'd love I to help you. I want to run for governor. And I feel like we need an Arizonan who loves this dirt and loves this squinty eyed naysaying practical people out yeah. here. You know, my grandfather came from cattle country. My dad's a native. Um, I just, I love this state so much. And I feel like we could have the kind of voice that Ron DeSantis is having out in Florida if we had the courage and leadership here. Yeah. And I feel we have pressing national and pressing local issues here that the governor's got a big say in. But the governor, I think, can't, I think the best governor say, we could have would not be a suit. Exactly. It would be somebody who's um, local business, not some big highfalutin business, but local business and local law enforcement and local politics understands that. And maybe not like a politico. It doesn't need to be a, like a local political wonk. But just about reestablishing our independence from the federal government and blocking for our Arizonans who 
you know, I you know, it's just the Grand Canyon State yeah. on our license plate. I always wanted it to be the uh, live, live free and leave me the fuck alone state. Yeah. Oh, I love it because it's Arizonans are like, well, you know, that's a good idea. Why don't you just leave me alone? No, I just kind of want to be left pull. alone. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'd kick ass as governor. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I what DeSantis does. I mean, these are things in my home. I'm like, why couldn't just? And then DeSantis will say, I'd be like, yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, I probably would have had many of the same stances and 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 a few different ones that probably would have been even stronger, but. <laughs> It, 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 I think um, a good partnership between governor, sheriff, and Customs and Border Patrol would be an epic voice down oh, yeah. here, and the whole country would be paying attention. They couldn't help it. Yeah. Um, I think the I see a way to show the story that's going on down here, uh, and it affects the whole country. Yeah. It affects everybody, and they just don't they they don't maybe see it quite yet, but it affects it when you hear about the loss of life you know we lose almost twice as many people to fentanyl that's coming through our border than we lost in a decade in vietnam oh, fentanyl's just killing and yeah. it's just so bad and we see uh, it you know i know you see it we see it down the i-17 corridor right. right off the freeway underneath the freeway you know the folks there the i call them the zombies i will i want to do what's best for arizona and this country I don't know what God has in store for me, but I'm a believer that you can't catch water unless you put a bowl outside. So I started things like my American Sheriff Network. I started that. Hopefully, I thought if that if God wanted to, that would have put me in a very different position coming into this year to where I could have maybe had some. It's still it's doing well, but it's not doing to the point where I can now I can make a decision to do that. So I've tried to do things that would put me in a position to where if that door opened and I felt like I needed to go down that door, that through that door, I could, but it just hasn't. And so, you know, I've, I do protect America now, um, protect America now.com is a, uh, 501 C four that we started, which is sheriffs from across the country coming together, stand up for the rule of law, which is one of the, the backbone of the American of America. You talked about the weak rule of law in other, in other countries. It's why America is America because yeah. of the rule of law. Um, second, we want to stand against bad policies like what we're seeing on the border, and we're going to stand up for the Constitution and the constitutional rights of the people. And so between those things, I've tried to put things in place. I don't know what's in store for me, but I can assure the people, anybody listening out there, I tell you, when I go out and play, speak places, it's because I love this country and I love this state. It has nothing to do with me trying to parlay myself into a different position. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm doing. I am trying to just protect what I love and which is freedom, America, the constitution. And I want people to not have to worry about the government intervening in their life. Well, I love the sheriff role. I think it's a really unique thing because it's not as, uh, uh, it's not urban locked. It's got a bigger reach. And I think sheriffs can thumb their nose at bad Absolutely. policy better than just about any law enforcement group. You know, the cities have got, so much entanglement with federal money uh it's hard for them to thumb their nose at the government i mean they can do it you gotta have courage but it gets expensive to thumb your nose it does uh, a lot of sheriffs um they don't have that same federal entanglement quite the same way well the, the sheriff is one of the few positions in this there is no higher elected official in the county than the sheriff the president comes in the senate whatever the sheriff is still your highest county elected official so the sheriff is a very unique position because we're only respond to the people. That's my, who I represent. Right. And right. that's who uh, elected The governor's me. not your boss. The governor's not my boss. The president's not my boss. Right. 
The people of Pinal County are my boss. When it comes to the county and making sure that I keep them safe from the bad guys and from government overreach, the sheriff is the ultimate figure. And so because of that power, the way we're elected, there's only a couple positions like that in the country. Um, I'm not beholden to a legislature, to a state right. senate. I'm not beholden to any it's of those It's very things. direct democracy-ish. I'm not even beholden to the board of supervisors. People right. say, well, you have the board. The board, all they do is approve your budget. If I take a budget and say, hey, I need $55 million this year, and this is what I'm going to spend it on. If the board says we're not going to approve it, I still spend it. They got to pay it. There's no, It doesn't mean that I can't. Now, will, we, will that put us at odds politically? Yeah. And that happens in a lot of counties. And then you've got to see who do the people like more? Do they like the sheriff or do they like the board of supervisors? I'm fortunate. I work, I live in a great county. We have five great supervisors who support law enforcement, who love freedom, who love this country. And we've been able to create a real uh, a haven of, of America right there in Pinal County. And so I'm blessed to have those guys. Mm -hmm. But in the end, even those guys don't control. They can only ratify your budget. In the end, they have to pay the bills. When I spend what I spend, right. they have to pay it. Right. So it's a kind of a... It's an oversight. It's oversight, not necessarily consulting. Yeah. So let me uh, talk to you a little bit about um, some politics. I'm good at that. Okay. <laughs> have you gone through and endorsed anybody yet? No, I don't endorse because if I did... Everybody in the ass, right? Yeah, there's there's good and bad. For one, I don't think endorsements carry near the weight that these politicians think they do. But they got all these political hacks that run campaigns that'll tell you this is how you're supposed to do yeah. it. And I tell them, beware of those people because they're going to tell you how to do the same thing that everybody's been doing for years. Yeah. Figure out a way to beat it. You know, I see these advisors for some of the campaigns that have had come through here. And I think most of the advisors are a waste of space, quite frankly. They you, are. You need a manager who can hustle your appointments and, and book you and get, get things on the board. But where are their interests coming from? And that always uh, that concerns me. Here's how I beat my guy. So when I was in the primary, they, nobody thought I stood a chance. And I was a nobody. I was running against the chief deputy that was already in the agency. And so I knew nothing about politics. And so they would say, hey, go talk to Greg over there. He'll tell you about politics. So I'd go and then I would listen to them tell me what I needed to do. And then I would say, okay, that's how the politics wants you to do it. I'm a marketing guy. How can I achieve that same end goal with marketing principles? And so what I did is I marketed it. And I marketed a brand. I marketed me. I marketed the ideas of America for freedom. And that's what I did. What a cost you run run for? So I in primary the my primary opponent spent one hundred and ten thousand. I spent thirty five thousand. I beat him sixty four to thirty six percent. So in politics, that's a shellacking. Right. Um, but it was because we reached the people. What they would do, just to give an example, I there was a Lincoln luncheon, and I paid for the table, but the same day there was a parade in AJ, and so. I decided to go to the parade in AJ. Well, later on, a day or two later, one of the political hacks down there calls me in. He's, she's like, hey, you missed this thing. And I go, well, I paid for the table. And they're like, yeah, but you missed it. There. And I go, well, how many people were there? 
She goes, well, there was 200 people. I go, 200 people who already know who they're going to vote for. I was at a parade with 10,000 people who are still impressionable. Right. So I was absolutely in the right place. And right. so there's that political thing. So you get all these political people. Right. So one is, I don't think that the uh, endorsements carry any weight. Number two is, is the second I endorse, I got every position. They all come anyway. But it makes it really easy when I go, look, I just don't endorse. Talk to me then. Um, so let's not ask you who you're going to vote for or endorse. Let's talk about who's uh, talking about issues that you like or whose perspectives you're uh, uh, jiving. You're with talking a bit. governor. Yeah, let's talk governor a little. Look, bit. I love. I'll, I've I've met all the candidates. Yeah. I, I know them all very well. Yeah. I'm good friends with them all. Um, I I love what Larry, Carrie Lake's talking about. Like I love how I love that she's not your typical politician. Um, I think she's doing a very good job on social media. She is reaching the average voter, which she's doing a very good job of. Um, I've had them all in my truck. I've had them all spent time with them, tucking, taking them to the border. Each one of them brings different things. Yeah. Um, and all of them I think would be better than what the opposite side is going to put up for sure. Um, so that's another reason is I'm not trying to, I want one of those people. I hope they, they're going to whoever gets that primary nomination is going to have my full support. Um, but I think that there are s certain candidates that bring a little bit more to the table. I think they're speaking the language. What I want more than anything is kind of what you said. I want somebody who's going to love Arizona, who is going to understand that this country was set up on state sovereignty and the federal government is there as a support unit and a support unit alone. And then I want somebody who's going to have the courage to stand in the way and say no we're not doing that that's not constitutional and that's what i'm looking for in a candidate and so i'm watching as i see these things pop up do you have the fortitude to stand up because i'm gonna tell you right now it's not easy yeah. i do it all the time yeah it's not easy and you take your whoopings yeah you gotta be able you, you get lumped up pretty good and you have to be able to weather the storm yeah and so I'm looking for somebody. That's that has what I don't know do about that. her. You know, I I see two gaps with her. I mean, I see three gaps really. I say one, I don't know if she's been in the heat, quite frankly. Two, um, I think she's uh, I think she's new to constitutional conservatism, which is fine. Uh, better 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 awaken to it at some point than never at all. Uh, and the third thing is complete lack of executive team building experience and uh, who you bring on board to manage your campaign is reflective of your judgment. Um, I, I've met several of them, talked to several of them. I like, you know, I like Matt Salmon. Um, I've heard but once again, there's no, there's no, and not, this is not to take away from Matt. There's no executive team building there either. He was a congressman, so yeah. it doesn't, you're not really building a team there. Um, what you need is a leader. I, I, I'm in an agency where you you just need a leader. You need somebody that's strong. You the other people will fi you'll find the right people to come in and lead that executive thing. And I think Matt's capable of doing that. Yeah. Karen Taylor Robeson is probably has the most executive because she's she's done a lot of business and run some companies. Yeah. And so we put a lot of stock in experience. And experience has got us in this dog shit hole that we're in. And I'm not looking for experience again. I'm looking for somebody with passion for America. Yeah. And that's really, I think, what we need more than anything. Because experience buys you more the, the game. Same. More of the same yeah. of, of, of accommodating to the game. And the Republican Party never reaches out to me, really. Right. They never... 
They don't want me. Nobody's come and asked me to run for anything. You know why? Because I'm not their... I'm not the guy that I'm not the boy that walks down and carries water for the team. You know, I'm, I'm my own person. I represent my people. I understand what my position is and I do that. And that makes people uncomfortable, which is why Trump had a tough time because it made Republicans and Democrats uncomfortable that he did it different than everybody else. (laughs) Can I just tell you how much I miss him? Like I, I, I sat, I, I watched him. I saw the assault from both sides and the insidious assault from the right. Yeah. And I just, I just love him. I just love him. And uh, people say, oh, you're stark. You know, we've met him and been around his family. They're just awesome. I love him. I was leaving the White House probably the second. I've been there like 10 times. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that to put it into context. Like I've had spent a lot of time around the guy. And, and not in real intimate situations, but enough of it to, to get a feel for who the guy is. Um, there was one of the times I had been in there and, and we had, it was a little bit more intimate than normal. And I was walking out to get my gun, which I had left at one of the border, the uh, secret service checkpoints. And this lady, if I had to guess, I would have guessed she was Democrat, but she asked me, she's like, what'd you think of president Trump? And I said, honestly, I thought he was great. I thought he loves America. You can just feel he loves America. He loves the American people. He loves freedom and he's willing to fight for it. And she goes, you know what? I've been here for 20 years and hands down, this is the best presidency we've ever had. She says they show up to work. They're professional. They treat us with respect. They're this and that. She goes, hands down the best presidency. And you know, that carried a lot of weight with me. And I yeah. think these are people that are on the inside. Yeah, Look I've, at heard, now. I've had a couple of people uh, in the in, up close security and all kinds say. When you're a president that has to set up a, a fake set, that says to me, you're not there. Yeah, You're not there at the place. You're not doing the job we told you, we asked you to do. Yeah. I would be okay with it if you were going all over the country and all over the world. I don't have a problem with that because that's part of your job. Right. But when you're sitting in a fake set, it mean tells me you're in the same spot and you're probably not at the White House. Phony. Phony. I I just love so so many behind the scenes photos that I've seen of Trump at two o'clock in the morning, sitting at his desk, working. I see him, you know, he's flipping, you know, you see he's flipping through briefings and he's looking at stuff and he's taking some notes and piles of work on his desk. I, I saw like stuff he's working on. Yeah. And it reminds me of a guy who's outworked everybody in the New York real estate business. He's outworked everybody in the hotel. You know, he just outworks a lot of people. And um, from everybody who said, yeah, he was, you know, nonstop. The guy works all the time. And I just don't think we've had presidents like that. Yeah, they, we don't. I talked to some of the guys and I was like, hey, why is it that so many people, there's such a high turnover? He's like, Sheriff, they just can't keep up. It's not like that. he just works so hard and he expects so much. And I appreciate that. Man, me as too. A, as, a, as an American, I appreciate that he is requ- requiring that these people give maximum effort to the taxpayer. I look at it like that. My taxpayer yeah. is my investors. Yeah. And I, they deserve to get maximum return on their hard-earned dollars. Yeah. President Trump understood that. 
and I miss that. I think he, uh, you know, I think he missed on messaging and he just hit grand slams on his action. Yeah. Well, and the messaging is going to come from your typical political people because you still, you know, I think if he could do it all over again, he wouldn't have listened to these people that were political guys like your Paul Ryans who said, these are the people you need in these positions. They were not the people. No. And I think that, you know, in hindsight, he would probably tell you the same thing. But how do you know that at the time that they're undermining you? You just, you know, he's such a big beast. He said some things that I thought were really revealing. He says, you know, I've dealt with so many countries around the world. I've dealt with so many foreign powers. I've done business in so many countries. I thought, you know, we have the pieces. I think we have the worst government of any place I've ever been. I think we have the most corrupt government of any place I've ever dealt with. It's the worst. He goes, I thought it was a swamp. It's it's a hundred times worse than I even thought it was. That's pretty <laughs> revealing. Well, people say, well, oh, you're go- you know, your government, this government's corrupt in this country. The reason they see it as corrupt is because it's cheaper. You can buy your corruption a lot cheaper. There's corruption in America. Oh, yeah. It's just really expensive. It's expensive. And it's, I mean, look at, look at these folks. They, the other day, Nancy Pelosi was asked about insider trading and she completely, um, she just, she did not want to call it for what it was. And these folks make millions of dollars off of insider trading. Yeah. It's, and the rest of us schlubs, we don't get that information. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, that's what they should do is ban you. Sh- you shouldn't be able to insider or trade. Honestly, it is. Already I would banned. be fine. It's I would, already banned. They right, can't do it, but they get it and they could do it. Of course they do. And they they shouldn't even be able to. Honestly, if you don't want to, if you want to maintain wealth, then don't go into political service. But you know, you should be able to. Uh, maybe they should put restrictions on it. That's how. You, if they don't want to do term limits, then pass some other things that will inhibit their ability to gain wealth. And watch, these people will find their own door out there. They won't, they'll walk out the back door on their own. You don't need to put term limits. Although I think term limits saves, solves a lot of our country's issues. It could, it could also make it so you always have a kind of a naive class of people trying to learn the job about the time they figured out they get shuffled out the door. I just feel Which like. Which is perfect though, because the, the federal government was never designed. <laughs> you, you may be right. <laughs> But it was never designed to be what it is. Right. It so wasn't supposed to be the fix-all for everything. Your focus should be on the states. Like, we far exceeded what government programs. Federal government's job was one thing. Federal, it was to protect. It was to create an army to protect America. It wasn't designed. Taxes weren't even around initially. Right. It wasn't so designed to this, be messing with school in Tucson. Everything was designed to filter through the states to the federal government. Even like that voting, you know, there's the, the the constitutional amendment that talks about that the states have the right to dictate how they do their elections, but that Congress should make, you know, because it can make laws. The reason they put that in there as the founding fathers is because they were afraid that the states would completely power out the federal government. And the federal government, that one little clause has allowed them to kind of, they've actually gone the opposite way. They've become too powerful. So like, I'm okay with putting people in there that are somewhat naive because I think that you get their passion, you get their love of their state, you get their love of their country before it becomes, um, and you get, you get them without all the hooks in them from everything else. Yeah. And that's the only way to do it. And how do we get that? You know, like I think three things save the country, right? Sunset Amendment, all bills, all laws die in 10 years. 
You want it? Pass it again. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, if you want it. So you want to ban guns. Okay. Well, if you pull that off and you get the majority, okay, that's the majority. But in 10 years, you got to do it again. Uh, like no matter what it is, you know. Yeah. Um, Let's so, not use that as an example. Yeah, well, I know. <laughs> Let's uh, find something. Else. But you know, they did uh, when they did the um, assault weapon ban, right. and then that ended. Um, and they couldn't. They they probably couldn't get it through again. They couldn't get it through again. Thank God. And I wouldn't want. But I'm just saying. Let's say you pull off some crazy bullshit that they've got in mind that they're always grinding on. I love the sunset. You'd thing. have to do it again in ten years. And also, I feel like it would do something else. People get elected and they show up. The country's functioning. At some level, it is always functioning. And then they start monkeying around and experimenting with it. Because everything's already codified and it's done. If they had to, like, hey, this year we got to renew everything that passed 10 years ago, they would be always talking about refining policy and letting bad things die and how public opinion has changed. And it would actually give them real work to do. Because right now they show up and they just have to make up shit to do. Yeah. So sunset clause, balanced budget amendment, unless in except in times of declared war. And then uh, the third thing would be term limits, right? Yeah. I mean, it seems like I like all three of those solve. things. How do we get those three things done, right? That's the big challenge. We've heard well, about I think constitutional convention, maybe. I mean, I you know I don't know. I think it starts in. This is a perfect year. You're coming all bad as a good to it. Like right. things are I've learned. Like two I'm actually things. really excited yeah. right now. I've learned two things in life. Things are never what they appear, and things have always have a way of working themselves out. If you can see through the bad and see it for what it is, then you'll see that there is good coming from all of this. And that we'll be better off because we went through it. Um it's sometimes we have to wake up to it. Like Yeah, I feel like there's a reckoning that's going to happen. Yeah. And I feel like we have to kind of be getting our, our, our teeth kicked in right now. Yeah, I we, feel like... And you know what? We deserved it because we got soft. I agree. We got soft and we deserved to have our, our face battered a little bit. I agree. But you know what? Now... I'm a little tougher now. <laughs> so I'm going to you know, start throwing some punches back. I want the I want our elected officials, I want them judging my country less than uh, doing the work that needs to be done. I don't want to hear politicians judging, making categorical judgments with their uh, communications degree from wherever about how racist the country is, so now they need to change America. I don't want to hear elected officials talking like that. No. Nah. Well, it's anti-American. Yeah, and it is it is treasonous in some levels. There, we have actual traitors serving in our house. But right what's now. funny is they're trying to flip the script. Yeah, they're trying to flip the script. They're locked in on January sixth. They're trying to flip the script that that was treason and that was the worst. I've heard people say it was worse than nine eleven. You know, and and it's there's on that's so that is such bs on so many levels yeah, every um and i don't want to go down that road yeah but, that january 6th thing is driving me uh, it's but it's that's all they maddening. have that's what it's, they want to hold on right. to and that's what they want to continue well to. i think they're i think they they're worst night this is the crazy thing about this i want to tell them stuff so that they do things right they can't help themselves but do it wrong that's right and it, they're getting a comeuppance because trump's coming back <laughs> and and he's go, he's gonna be Trump 2.0 is going to be a different Trump than the first round. And the American people are are fed up with it. The American people are like, 
So this is, it's kind of crazy what we're getting ready to see. I think they're going to get spooked by what happens at the midterm and they're just doubling down. I mean, stupid is as stupid does. Well, the American people need to be very aware of watch for anything like COVID, what we saw, because they, that was used as a tool to uh, undo president Trump and his election and make no mistake they'll they'll try to play the same type of card again this year which will create a need panic chaos um allow them to implement restrictions and and executive orders on a state level and on a federal level and they're monkeying with voting they are monkeying with voting for sure but what a lot of american people don't understand there's been a lot of laws passed in a lot of states that have actually been very good for voting right and then because they're going to monkey with it but they've been unsuccessful it's funny i saw i've talked to a lot about the election since this uh since it went down and i said you know this hurts a little bit i think we got a guy who's going to come back it's okay um but now everybody's watching and there are you know there are legislatures all across the country going Hey, did this something get by us? What's going on? I think it it's actually been good overall. Yeah. Um well, um I guess I the last sheriff that I met and talked to was uh Arpaio. Talked to him a few times and had good lunch guy. with him once. Um there's a big seat as an Arizona sheriff and it rings around the country. Um I've been in traveled i've been all over the place i was in germany and i had somebody bringing up joe arpaio oh, you're from arizona joe arpaio's out there yeah there's a big voice to be had in the american southwest uh you know john wayne um out there in california playing football in san diego and in hollywood uh he he became a man here in arizona you know he came here to put on a hat he came here to get a vest he came here to ride around with cattle and be around cactuses and and uh, put his uh, man image out to the world. And the whole world glommed onto it. And that image is, uh, it's real. Because this, you look at that picture right there. That's my grandfather uh, when he was uh, in law enforcement. Yeah, I like yep, it. And ran for constable. And there he is uh, on horseback. And he was, uh, it's a, it is a rough and That's tough cool. scrabble place out here. And uh, I love it so much. Uh, and it is a, almost an archetypal character to be a sheriff here in Arizona, uh, the land of, uh, you know, the OK Corral. Uh, and the rest of the country and the yeah. world knows that and hears that. And they sometimes don't even know why the voice booms. So I think you can have a big voice from where you're at. And I commend you for doing it. I loved seeing you walk in. I said, who's that guy? Is that, <laughs> is that, is that Clay Aiken? Is that one of the country western guys? I couldn't see. Across the room. I said, oh, no, that's Sheriff Lamb. I go, who's Sheriff Lamb? I was the only guy in the room who didn't know who you were. So, I mean, you're getting the job done. And I appreciate you spending time to come up here. Oh, my Anything pleasure. you'd like to, um, you know, you've got a campaign that comes up again in, well, in first, uh, a couple of years. Please check out americansheriff.com. Okay. When they took away live PD and they took away cops, we wanted to still have a, because we saw the media dictating the narrative on law enforcement. So we created that. And it's just, we're just trying to real sheriffs, real stories. We're showcasing the office of sheriff across the country. Um, we we, we want to be able to go live as well. We've got the ability. So 
We just need to get more subscribers to it. So please check it out, americansheriff.com. And then come support us at protectamericanow.com. That's our 501c4. Right now, we're, we're working on six states. We're actually running um, legislation, which is anti-defund the police legislation in six different states. So ref- refund the police. Yeah. Well, and it makes it so you cannot. And this would have helped during the vaccine mandates. Had we had this in place last year, they wouldn't have been able to pass vaccine mandates because they would have been breaking the law by reducing their forces. Even if it was on a, on a vaccine mandate, they would have said, hey, we can't do it because our law says we have to maintain X amount of police officers, percentage, whatever. So we're working on that. So come support us because that, that's not cheap. It takes millions of dollars. Yeah. So if any big, big money guys out there want to- Where can they donate? Uh, they can donate at protectamericanow.com. Okay. Protectamericanow.com. And then to come see me at uh, American Sheriff on Instagram and Sheriff Lamb on Facebook. I got a bunch of followers on Twitter, but I abandoned Twitter. I thought it's too hateful um, and I don't want to support them. I, you know, I'm barely supporting the other ones. I'm holding on. I know, I know. But, you but it's keep... a, you know, it's kind of a necessary thing. Yeah. We can continue to yeah. to find like-minded people that still love America and freedom. And, uh, and in the end, I, you know. And I, what I want people to say about Sheriff Lamb is that I was a patriot and I fought valiantly for, for God, family, and country. All right, so I want to tell you a quick anecdote, and then uh, uh, can I get a ride along sometime? Yeah, absolutely. Come All on right. down. Okay. So uh, I did a ride along in New York City. I'm going to tell you about this. <laughs> so I have a friend who's a captain, and he, he says, oh, we'll do a ride along, and he's been in all kinds of scenario you know he's actually kind of a baller as a cop in new york city and he was off duty and stopped the bank robbery one time and he, he's got That's real cool. well known yeah he's kind of a baller and he and i were on a boxing team together in college so we go uh we go for this ride along and i got a kid with me who uh has just back from afghanistan one of my employees at the time and his dad had shown up now i think his dad's in the cia dad's He's got no career and he's a military guy and he's yeah. got no career and he's still in shape and he's like an Asia all the time. So yeah, the whole thing sounded to good, me yes, like he yeah. was a spook. So I got the two of them with me and uh, his his dad flies in in New York and meets up with us and we're going to go out and do a cop ride along. So we do a ride along and this beat up, no license plate Jeep Grand Cherokee shows up and it's my buddy in it. It's from the impound lot. And uh, first thing we do is roll into a drug deal. I mean, straight into it, just put the bumper right up against the guys, and uh, he pokes his nose out and starts talking to them, and they throw all the drugs on the hood of the on the hood of the Jeep. And then next thing we do, we go to this little bodega, and there's more drug stuff going on. And, and then uh, the next one, he hands me a Glock, and he's all right, listen. He goes, just have this in your lap. Anything goes down, he goes, yeah. Gives us... <laughs> That's a ride along. I said, Okay, and now I look in the back, and they're like this. And then the next thing you know, we're like on the Cross Bronze Expressway. I've got the gun pointed out the window at a guy in a BMW screaming at him to pull over. <laughs> and my, my and the guy pulls over, and, you know, he was in trouble. And I looked in the back, and we were all just like, you know, like, holy shit. So the, the evening finished. We go to this pizzeria, 
and we walk in and they won't let him pay and it's new york so he right. doesn't pay so we all have pizza and he thanks them and they talk back and forth for a couple of minutes and we leave he drops us off back at our hotel and i look my kid from afghanistan he goes jesus he goes my ptsd he goes i'm shaking he goes that's the craziest ride along i've ever even heard of and i said i can't believe he handed me a pistol in new york we just did a no shit like that was it was spectacular now that's so, awesome yeah it was so funny and i said I'm the only guy I know who's pointed a gun out the window beside some drug dealers in New York City, driving on an expressway, pulling somebody over. He's like, point it at him, don't pull him back over. So I point out, he goes, yell at him. I yelled at the guy and I said, oh my God, I got a gun pointed out the window, That's pulling awesome. somebody over. Well, I'm going to be, I hate to break it to you, but my ride along like may that. not be as fun. All right. <laughs> but I will tell you which button to hit in case we need you. I tell everybody gets in my car and it's funny because I even have like the ambassador from Venezuela in my truck and... I'm like, listen, if we come across anything and it starts going south for me, you push this button and you grab that rifle and you put it on fire and you start going to town. All right. And sounds good. <laughs> well, uh, I'd love to come down. What a pleasure having you here. It's really nice to meet you up uh, up, up close and personal. My dad's going to, my dad will be excited to watch this because he really enjoyed your talk. Um, I thought when we, uh, the, the two people that left the mark with us was you and Gozer. Uh, he left the mark. He was very impassioned talking about the election and stuff he was yeah. doing in Washington. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to having him in as well. So Gosar is a great man. As a matter of fact, I've only endorsed one person that was Gosar. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I really, really, yeah. really liked him. And my dad and I, we looked over. He had a cheek run down, a tear running down his cheek. And I did too. I said, Jesus, man, he just got me. Yeah. He was a, such an impassioned and powerful uh, sounding guy. Um, it's, 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 amazing to be able to have this kind of personal contact and do what the press should be doing which is let people hear in depth about the folks that are out there yeah. doing the american work so we really just a great pleasure having you here. i appreciate it thank All you right. so awesome. much thanks a god bunch. bless same to you and thank you for what you're doing i love the knives man <laughs>